Hi, Word Nerds and History Geeks. You're tuned in to Say What? 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 It's almost Christmas, so there's no better time of the year to have a look at the words we use once a year with abandon. And why do we even have these Noelle traditions? So let's swig on a flagon of eggnog and bring in the Yuletide cheer with the inaugural Say What Christmas episode. I'm Joe Varaka. And each episode, I'm going to rub shoulders with the glitterati of language, where we'll learn that some of the more colourful and even, dare I say it, humdrum words that we use every day have remarkable origins. From true crime to music and pop culture, religion to social movements. Where do words come from? Who came up with them? Who polices them? What is the secret history of the words we use every day? Let's find out. I live in Australia, in Melbourne, which is one of the southernmost cities in the world. And that means that Christmas is smack bang in the middle of summer down here. But being Melbourne, it could be 30 degrees for breakfast, 40 degrees and raining by lunch, and humid and 20 degrees by dinner, with a storm by sundown. But that doesn't stop us from taking up the wintry traditions of our northern friends like snowflake decorations, warming eggnog, and singing songs such as this one. So where do all our everyday Yuletide words come from? Like eggnog. And why is it that you can only find it in the supermarkets at around Christmas time? Well, my husband is American and he loves eggnog. Hi, Jeff. I've never understood the desire to drink custard, even if it is spiked with booze. And given its origins, I reckon others are going to agree with me. Eggnog was originally thought to be a hot drink that the British aristocracy consumed in winter, and it didn't contain alcohol at the start. Eggnog is said to be the modern child of posset, a delightful hot punch containing milk curdled by wine or ale, often spiced and used as a cure for the cold and other general malaise. Mmm. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the first known instance of eggnog was in around 1775 and was defined as a drink consisting of eggs beaten with sugar, milk or cream, and often alcoholic liquor. The dictionary references the word noggin, which was a small mug or cup used to serve ale. From Scotland, nugged ale referred to an ale warmed with a hot poker. Incidentally, noggin is used in some parts to refer to the head, like, come on, use your noggin. The origins of eggnog are somewhat disputed. It's suggested that the English called it egg flip originally, based on the method of flipping or pouring the ingredients between two containers. Can't you just picture it? The term eggnog originated in around 1765 in America. Originally called egg and grog and later as eggnog, although linguists have disputed this origin. What is undisputed is that the first printed use of the term eggnog appeared in the New Jersey Journal in March 1788. But was the rum added to the recipe in England or did the American colonists add it when they began drinking it in the 1700s? In the States, rum was not taxed to the same degree as, say, wine or brandy, so it was cheap and abundant. 
Of course, today you can buy pre-made eggnog with or without alcohol and containing a myriad of spices. Or you could just make your own. I've popped US President Eisenhower's famous eggnog recipe over on the Instagram page. Go check it out. Americans drink around 135 million pounds of eggnog at Christmas. That's the equivalent of around 61 million litres. In Australian terms, that's around two and a half litres per person at Christmas time. That's a lot of eggnog. Of course, there are different versions of eggnog that are found around the world, like ponche crema from Venezuela and Trinidad. In Puerto Rico, you'll find coquito, which includes rum and fresh coconut juice or coconut milk. You can find Aya Punch in Austrian and German Christmas markets and it includes white wine, eggs, sugar, cloves, tea, lemon or lime juice and cinnamon. How do you like your eggnog? Boozy? Thick? Hot? Cold? Me? I like my eggnog without eggs or cream or sugar. <laughs> and that brings us to mistletoe. So mistletoe is a tree, right? Actually, no. Mistletoe is a parasitic plant that grows on trees and is propagated through the droppings of the mistle thrush. The bird poops out the seeds onto the host plant's branches and the seeds become the mistletoe loved by lovers and creepy people at Christmas parties everywhere. Now, a few facts about mistletoe. In winter, the mistle thrush, that's the pooping bird, will defend their mistletoe clumps because it's their food during hard times. Do not get between a mistle thrush and their nourishment. The word mistletoe comes from the Old English mistletoe. So here's the fun bit. Because mistletoe is spread by poo, it's possible that mistle comes from a now obsolete Germanic word mix, which means dung or filth. The addition of the suffix toe is apparently due to the confusion by Middle English speakers who confuse the word tan, which means twig, as the plural of ta, which is toe. So we have mistletoe. Are you with me? Why do people kiss under the filth twig at Christmas? In Norse mythology, Frigg, also known as Freya, the wife of Odin, adored her son, Balder. He was the favourite of the gods, and the other gods amused themselves by throwing objects at him, knowing that he was immune from harm because Frigg cast magic on all plants that grew on the earth that they may never be used as a weapon against him. But the mistletoe didn't technically grow on the earth. Learning this, Loki, the trickster god, made a spear from the plant and conned Frigg's other son, Hua, to use it against Boulder, and it killed him. Unfortunately, the origin of kissing under the mistletoe, which I've only ever seen in American movies and TV shows, is a little uncertain. It may come from that myth about Frigg that she declared it a symbol of love after Boulder's death and would kiss anyone who passed beneath it. Whether or not this is true, we do know that the tradition began in England possibly because of a song published in 1784, which goes. What all the men, Jem, John and Joe cry, what good luck has sent ye? And kiss beneath the mistletoe, the girl not turned a twenty. 
And one more bit of juicy info. Mistletoe juice, also known as bird lime, is used illegally to trap birds with its sticky residue. And the berries of some species are toxic to humans. So yeah, I can't wait to hang some mistletoe at my place this year. Now, what about Kris Kringle? Here's an interesting story, one that has a bit to do with Christmas, Saints, Coca-Cola, and a classic movie. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! Saint Nicholas, who was at the time known as just Nicholas, was a wealthy monk born around 280 CE in what is now Turkey. He gave away everything to the poor and sick, and a couple of hundred years after he died, And after the creation of Christianity, a church was built in his honour and he was declared a saint. His feast day is celebrated on December 6th. He was one of the most popular saints in Europe during the Renaissance, especially for the Dutch who named him Sinterklaas, which turned into Santa Claus when they colonised New York and the name was Americanized. Actually, I read that the Dutch said the name Saint Nicholas very fast and it sounded like Sinterklaas to the English and that became Santa Claus. So let's try it. Saint Nicholas, Saint Nicholas, Saint Nicholas, Nicholas, Saint Nicholas. I don't know. Now, the movie Miracle on 34th Street popularized the name Kris Kringle as that was the name of the Macy's Santa who was the main character. The origins, however, are older, from around 1500s actually. During the Protestant Reformation, John Calvin wanted to discourage the idolization of St. Nick because, well, too many people went to church at Christmas and not on other days. He discouraged worship of idols such as St. Nicholas. And in fact, the reformers wanted to ditch Christmas altogether. But the Catholics weren't about to let that happen and they held on to the tradition. Ho, ho, ho! Webster's Dictionary suggests that Kris Kringle comes from the German Christkindl, meaning Christ child. For our American friends, did you know that Kris Kringle is another name for Secret Santa? Yeah. That's the once-a-year workplace and family cheap gift-giving game that is ubiquitous. Now, let's talk about elves. Once again, we have Germanic mythology to thank for their existence, but it was Godey's magazine and ladies' book that brought them into Christmas. Godey's ladies' book was once known as the Queen of Monthlies. Yes, you heard that right. It ran for 48 years from 1830 to 1878, and its editor for 40 of those years was Sarah Josepha Hale, the author of the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb. The 1873 Christmas issue of Godey's featured Santa in his workshop surrounded by toys and elves with the caption, here we have an idea of the preparations that are made to supply the young folks with toys at Christmas time. At the time, Godey's Ladies Book was the most widely published magazine in pre-Civil War America and it was influential in the origin of many Christmas traditions including the first widely circulated picture of a modern adorned Christmas tree on the cover of the 1850 Christmas issue. But back to elves. In Norse mythology, that's the one with Freya, Odin, Loki and Thor, elves were referred to as Alfar or 
Huldufolk, which translates to hidden folk. These nature spirits were seen as slightly evil in other parts of Europe who associated elves with demons. But was Santa an elf? Twas the night before Christmas. In the 1823 poem, commonly called Twas the Night Before Christmas, Santa is referred to as a right jolly old elf. Here's where it gets a tad complicated. Remember how I said that St. Nick was very popular, especially with the Dutch? Well, in Sweden, before St. Nicholas, gifts were given out to children by the Yule Goat. The Yule Goat is a pagan tradition, possibly connected with the worship of the Norse god Thor, who rode the skies in a chariot led by two goats. Okay, so pay attention because we're about to mix up a whole bunch of mythologies and beliefs here. The last bundle of grain harvested for the year was said to contain the spirit of the harvest. So it was saved for Yule celebrations, which is a winter festival, which relates to the ancient proto-Slavic Kolyada festival that celebrates the sun and harvest. The god in this story, Devach, is symbolized by a goat. From around the 11th century, the figure of St. Nicholas would lead the goat during Childermas, also known as the Night of the Innocents. You know, that's the one where Herod called for the massacre of all males under two years old in and around Bethlehem because he was afraid of this new child king that was born. And this, the figure of St. Nick leading the goat, was to symbolise St. Nicholas's control over the devil. Wait, I forgot what we were talking about. Elves, right? Elves have appeared throughout history and in literature. You have them in Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, Harry Potter, A Midsummer Night's Dream. They're eternally youthful, playful beings. And in the fairy tale, The Elves and the Shoemaker, published by the Brothers Grimm in 1812, the elves pop in to help a shoemaker just before Christmas. Also, Louisa May Alcott, she's the author of Little Women, she mentions Santa's elves in her never published book, Christmas Elves, which she wrote in 1855. And in 1857, Harper's Weekly published a poem called The Wonders of Santa Claus. It tells that Santa keeps a great many elves at work, all working with all their might to make a million of pretty things, cakes, sugar plums and toys, to fill the stockings hung up, you know, by the little girls and boys. And why do we deck the halls with boughs of holly? Firstly, the song is based on the melody of an old Welsh tune and the lyrics were written in around 1862 by the Scottish musician Thomas Oliphant. But the actual use of holly is very interesting and of course it goes back to pagan times. The Druids believed that holly was sacred because it remained green and flowered in winter when everything else died or lay dormant. And in fact, holly was originally called the holy plant. The ancient Romans also thought it brought good luck, and in China, holly decorations were used during New Year celebrations, so it's always been auspicious. Some Christian scholars suggest that the thorny leaves of the holly plant represent the crown of thorns worn by Jesus and the berries his blood. However, others believe that holly became associated with Christmas because of its use to honour the god Saturn during the pagan festival, the Saturnalia. 
Many centuries later, when Christianity began to pop up, in order to avoid persecution, the early Christians continued the tradition of using holly during Saturnalia so non-Christians would not be offended by their celebration of the new religion. In fact, it's suggested that Saturnalia is the progenitor of Christmas, influencing some of the traditions we still see today, like gift-giving, drinking, overeating and of course decorating with holly. Saturnalia or the Festival of Misrule was a Roman midwinter festival of debauchery where the everyday restrictions of the time were not allowed. Masters served their slaves, adults served children and gambling was on for everyone. It was Pope Julius I who formalized December 25th as the birth of Jesus and the timing may have been to create an alternative to Saturnalia to stop the pagans from worshipping their old gods. But seriously folks, the Saturnalia sounds a lot more fun than a typical Christmas at my place. I mean, banquets, gift giving, parties, a carnival atmosphere, gambling, what's there not to love? And one last bit of intel. Did you know that Santa's reindeers are actually female? Science says so. As we know, the reindeers have been given traditionally male sounding names like Blitzen and Rudolph and with male personality traits. But according to the debunking website Snopes, all reindeer grow antlers in summer, but male reindeer drop theirs at the beginning of winter around late November in the Northern Hemisphere. But female reindeers retain their antlers until they give birth in the spring. So while it's not impossible that a male reindeer has held onto his antlers in Christmas, it's really unlikely. So I think it's time to rename those reindeer. I'm thinking Peaches, Barbarella, Clementine. What do you think? <laughs> oh, and P.S. There's an urban legend that Coca-Cola invented Santa Claus as that jolly old man. But as we know, that's not the case. Although they actually may be responsible for creating the beloved figure of the jolly red clothed man with long white beard. Yeah, that was probably Coke. Oh, and one more thing. Why not shake up your secret Santa or Kris Kringle this year? Turn it into a thieving secret Santa. That's where you take turns opening your gift and then you can either open a new gift and keep it or steal a previously opened gift if you like it better. <laughs> We did that last year. It was so much fun. Give it a go. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, everyone. See you in 2022 and let's hope it's a far better year. Bye. Say What? The podcast was brought to you by me, Joe Vraka. Sound engineering by Jeff Willis. You can follow the show for free on Spotify, Apple and all your favorite apps. Look for Say What? The podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Say What The Podcast, where I share some of my favourite and sometimes least favourite words.